welcome back to another episode of You Are Just a Number podcast, a podcast regarding leadership, teamwork, process improvement, and the passion people display. Today's podcast is with Dr. Mark, who followed his dream and did whatever it took to make it happen. He harnessed all the experience he learned from working for large companies to start a consulting firm with others, which is very successful. To learn more, visit our website, which is youarejustanumber.com. That's the letters youarejustanumber.com, all one word. I'm Jim Zellum, your host. So let's hear Dr. Mark's story. Hello, everyone. Today, my guest is Dr. Mark. He's the president and CEO of Valtitude Company. And he's done quite a bit. So welcome aboard, Dr. Mark. Thank you, Jim. Thank you. I'm uh, glad to be part of your podcast. And thank you for inviting me and hosting me to the podcast series. Appreciate it. Okay. Well, Dr. Mark, look, you have a lot of credentials that you sent me in your bio. Okay. And it sounds like you've done a lot of work for a lot of people. And we know you hold a PhD in financial economics from Arizona State University. So why don't you just give us a little background about you and tell us how you got to where you are today. Okay, very good. Excellent. Um, I think the only thing that I could say that I planned my life was I, uh, you know, when I was actually in school and also in college, I wanted to do a PhD in a business related area you know, business slash economics related area. So that's the only thing that I really planned for, to be able to do a PhD and to be able to get a PhD from an American university because, you know, I have always, you know, been enamored by the concept of the U.S., concept of America, right? You know, I grew up in India and uh, I had followed, you know, U.S. politics, U.S. economy, and then the principles that... Uh, this country stood for and and in terms of the progress that we have made both in you know in terms of technology research economics what have you right so i would say that's the only thing that i really planned for i came to the us got my mba got my phd i'm actually a chartered accountant in india so one of the things that my father would say is hey you know you should have stayed back in india and be, you know, run a large accounting firm, right? Just to, you know, start your own big accounting conglomerate. In fact, I I was a rank holder with the Institute of Chartered Accounts of India. When I passed my CA, I was only 20 at that time. Okay. But I said, hey, I'm coming to America. I want to do my MBA. I want to do my PhD. So after the PhD, I would say where I am today, I think it's such a series of accidental steps, if you, if you would, right? Um, you know, I don't want to say accidental. I think I followed the the trend as such. But, uh, you know, and today what we are is we are a consulting firm that specializes in creating value for companies, business values for companies through both analytics and supply chain innovation, right? That's what we do. And we take pride in doing that. Um, so, I would say today where I am in, in terms of consulting and, and what we are doing for our clients is uh, pretty much a kind of a grow outgrowth of 
what I had gone through in corporate. I was in corporate for, you know, I would say 10, 12 years. And, you know, most recently, which was almost uh, 20 years ago, 18 years ago, I was uh, director of market analysis demand planning with, uh, with Procter & Gamble in Boston, which is basically at that time, it was a Gillette company, which was acquired by Procter & Gamble in 2004. Okay. And, and uh, you know, uh, and I had paid, we had paid a lot of money for consultants. And then I, you know, we talked about it, we joked about it and said, hey, you know, we could actually just do, create a lot of value for companies with a fraction of the money that we paid for the strategy consulting firms. So that was the main inspiration to start our consulting firm, to start, uh, you know, demand planning LLC, which later on became Valtitude. So, so basically then, so did you, did you start this all by yourself or was it a group of people that started this, this company? It was just a couple of people, you know, um, essentially myself and uh, my colleague, her name is Joan Kopp. Uh, you know, we worked together. In fact, uh, she was working with me as a senior manager. I was the director of demand planning market analysis at, uh, at Gillette. And, you know, we left Gillette around the same time. Um, you know, I think with the restructuring that's going on because of the PNG acquisition, uh, you know, we left around the same time and started the company. And at that time, it was called Demand Planning LLC. And and we had another colleague of ours who was working at uh, J and J, who actually retired from J and J, who also just uh, joined us in terms of uh, you know doing the consulting work, you know, more as a consulting partner at that time. So I would say initially it was just the three of us that uh, that started the work. And primarily we were a boutique that provided only strategy consulting, strategy and process consulting to help companies define better processes for supply chain management, improving their demand planning process or demand forecasting, and also the collaboration, internal collaboration process called sales and operations planning. So that was our primary uh, area of consulting at that time. Uh, but then over the years, we have grown. And, you know, I think I would say, sadly, Joan passed away about three, four years ago. Um, and, you know, it's, uh, due to cancer, actually. But uh, bless her heart and, um, you know, bless her soul now. So, but but anyway, I think we kind of laid the foundation early on, um, you know, and, uh, and it was, uh, you know, it was an interesting... Uh, time right because initially we were just doing process strategy consulting for the first four or five years then later on Joan decided that uh, you know she wanted to try her hand in real estate so she left after four or five years and went to kind of start you know become a real realtor real estate agent in Boston right so she was doing that she come she used to come back periodically to do some work with us but um, you know primarily it was myself and her and then you know, it was me um, you know, now we have, uh, you know, firm with a lot of associates, number of associates in, in the U.S. as well as in India. Okay, so just out of curiosity, so you decided to go into business, okay, for yourself, consulting business, okay? Mm -hmm. So how did you and Joan find customers? <laughs> okay, good, good. So, I mean, you know, I, I, I have to say this, it's it's very interesting, right? Because... I was working for um, Merck, uh, sharing plow, because you know, right now, Jim, it's very interesting because although it's me, Mark Choklingham, throughout the years, 
the companies I worked for, you know, they have been acquired and acquired and acquired and reacquired. It's very difficult to find the identity of those companies, right? So I used to work for Sharing Plow, which had some top brand names like Dr. Scholl's, um, Coppertone, and, uh, you know, Lotrimin, Coricidin, these kind of over-the-counter health, over health products, right? But this that company, you know, is where I would say I cut my teeth in supply chain management, supply chain planning. And I really owe a lot to, you know, Sharing Plow and my colleagues at Sharing Plow because I really learned a lot. I, you know, used to live in Memphis at that time. And, uh, you know, at that time, I had actually started a website to kind of promote demand planning because in the 90s, demand planning was there, but it wasn't common. It wasn't popular. Right. Not a lot of companies were doing demand planning. You know, now if you think about it, demand planning is one of the hot areas, hottest areas. If you are good in demand planning, you could get hundreds of thousands of dollars in salaries, right? By companies are hiring left and right on demand planning. So I started a website just to talk about demand planning, you know, on my own. So when we started the company after we left uh, Procter & Gamble, the website came as a very good, uh, you know, um, tool for us, right? In fact, Google ranked us in the top. In fact, we were ranked like number one or number two. Organically, were you organically ranked that way? Yes, organically. We didn't have money. I mean, obviously, I had money when I left, uh, you know, Gillette. I had money. I when I had when I left Procter and Gamble, I did have money, a decent amount of money. But I didn't put a lot of money into marketing the company, right? Other than the website, and organically, we were ranked in the top. You know, we were ranked either number one or number two for the search term demand planning, right? If you put in demand planning, we came up. We were like number one or number two. So we wrote that, you know, for a couple of years, at least two to three years, and clients actually found us, you know, I realized that, you know, I have been getting inquiries and contacts, even when I was working for sharing, or even when I was working for Procter & Gamble, you know, but obviously, I didn't return any calls or anything. But then that became our marketing tool, the website itself became marketing tool. So I would say that was one. And then I also started writing to to find clients right um you know initially we did some google ads but i don't really think that was very helpful but so i would say two things that helped me one is the fact that the website can generate organic traffic for demand planning because demand planning was normal at that time and secondly i had some connections right you know i had known people in the industry i had gone to conferences so that's another method that's another means of just generating you know, the clientele as well and growing business at that time. So, I mean, I wish I had known some of the marketing techniques that we know today, right? If we had known then, right, we probably would be a lot bigger, but that's okay, right? Well, uh, it, so it sounds like you're very successful. Cause, so how, how how big is your company? You said you got associates over here in the United States and in India. So just how, right. big, is your, how big is your uh, your company? We are still small. I would say we are tiny, actually. So we have about 35 people in the company overall worldwide. But we work with, you know, a couple of partner companies, integrators. So in, in fact, if we want to really scale up on a project, we could work with, the, you know, with a couple of consulting partners as well, some bigger firms. So what we do is we we have something called as a teaming agreement with the, with the other consulting companies we work with two other consulting companies 
And so that way we can kind of just uh, handle larger projects also, larger worldwide global implementation projects. So you have teaming agreements with other places so they can help you or you can help them. Is, is Correct, that right? right, exactly. That's uh, that's exactly the case, right? Either we can help them or they can help us. But more and more, I would say this is actually very interesting because we have a lot of, lot of traction. We have a good name in the industry. Um, so which means I think like, you know, we are generally like thought of as a good company that delivers value. So I would say in most cases, we actually augmented by, you know, going to our teaming partners. So how did you find these teaming partners that you can, everything's built on trust, okay? And right. you, you know what? I mean, you have a reputation that you want to uphold. Mm -hmm. So how how was it? So how could you find these teaming partners? I mean, so, how did you go about that? Very good question. So these are the teaming partners are typically like, you know, one or two partners that had worked with me previously in another engagement or they had worked with me previously in corporate. Right. So somebody, people I know that I trust. And those are the ones that uh, that we work with as teaming. Right. For teaming partners. Okay. Um, so, I mean, I think like, you know, we wouldn't just go and say, hey, you know, we're going to team with uh, somebody as big as Accenture. Right. Because then in that case, we don't really know the type of resources and also the scale and size to deal with. You know, uh, I don't know if Accenture wants to work with us, but, you know, Accenture had actually asked us to be part of a couple of engagements in the past. But, uh, you know, but, but most of these companies are smaller companies that would be, say, anywhere from 50 to 200 people, that type of stuff. So, mm -hmm. so, so just not to interrupt. So, so basically we would, you know, I would work with somebody that I had known that are partners in the other firms. And we would still, if it is our engagement in terms of program management, uh, you know, our company would actually play the lead in those, uh, you know, in those engagements. Okay. So really it comes back to a famous saying, it's always the power of the network. So how right. good your network is, how you grew. Exactly, yeah. So, so let's talk. Let's talk about these. You said you got approximately thirty-five people worldwide. Okay, so mm -hmm. how did you find these people and build such a team? <clears throat> okay, very good. So, um, you know, we actually just you know we do very rarely we do hiring, you know, on a um, you know we just we don't go out and hire a senior consultant right somebody who has like 10 15 years of experience unless that person comes to us and and wants to be part of the company right and we have had such uh, you know such type of uh, invitations as well through linkedin primarily but um what we do our strategy is always hire from college right so you know we have we have worked with uh, colleges like umass amherst right Mm -hmm. um, and then some of the local colleges like Bryant uh, and Bentley, right? So we work with colleges. We hire directly from colleges with somebody who has no experience or maybe one or two years of experience, right? And then we train them, right? That is how we groom our resources, right? Um, you know, we don't really just go in and say, you know, we want somebody who has 10 years of consulting experience, right? And then bring them on board because we have a specific methodology we have a specific consulting ip that we want to put our resources through 
And that becomes a lot easier if we hire somebody who's young, who is fresh out of college, you know, whether it is an MBA program or a, um, you know, or an undergraduate program. And the similar strategy is what we do in India as well. In fact, in India, we have relationships with some schools, some colleges, analytics colleges. There are pretty good colleges, but are not really like, you know, um, on the radar as like a big, bright, you know, like like a top university. Like, for example, IITs and IAMs are the in things in India, right? So you can hire somebody from IIT or IAM more so with an IAM MBA. You could pay them as much as eighty to $100,000 in India, right? In Indian rupees, which is a lot of money. So, but there is, you know, companies are just really, you know, competing over the graduates that are, produced by the Indian Institute of Management. But what we do is we just work with, you know, other colleges um, and then, you know, and then hire recruit people so that they, they can train them. We can train them into our modalities, our methodologies. Okay. Okay. Right? So yeah. Okay. So yeah, you want their methodologies and you don't really want, uh, for a lack of better words, a person that has their own method, different methodologies from other companies that like do not, they contradict your methodology a little bit. So correct, correct, right. So the risk is there, right? Because we just train them in our methodology. We train them in our custom IP and all that stuff. And then it's potentially, it's possible that they may like leave, right? That, that type of right. possibility is there. But the good thing is we treat our employees very well, right? Um, you know, just very good benefits, um, attractive bonuses, right? Based on performance. So we find we our observation is that most employees, people who re we recruit from colleges, you know, they stay with us. You know, sometimes, you know, I've, I've seen, you know, we have some associates who have stayed with the company like 10 plus years, right? So, you know, so that's that's a good thing. And this is actually one, one of the benefits of staying under the radar, right? Like, for example, if you go hire a very glitzy, sexy candidate from IAM or IIT, right? Um, you know, they'll work with you for a couple of years and then, they, you know, some of the company, you know, Colgate Palmolive comes in and says, you know, we'll pay you triple the wages that demand planning is paying you, right? Or Valtude is paying you. Um, and I've also seen this, right? Come People who have worked with us, um, you know, given our um, name and name recognition in demand planning and SNOP, uh, people have found really good jobs. You know, even people who have been trained here as interns, have landed very, very good jobs after they finish their internship. Because other companies value what we do, right? You know, they know, you know, we have some really named clients like Fortune 500 clients, like for example, Pepsi Foods is a client of ours. Honeywell is a client of ours. Uh, Mars Pet Care is a client of ours. So these are all like top brand names, right? You know, so you have, um, you know, these would be like in the Fortune 100, right? Right, right. So, um, and so some of these companies know what we do, and they know that we have a niche that we that we work in, right? Um, okay. And that niche has a a premium. So, so do you have multiple teams there with team leaders and everything like that, or is it? it can you can you explain your structure just a little bit? How your teams work and the leadership works? Right, right, exactly. So, um, you know, we we do have consulting managers right we call them program managers that would be responsible for projects so the way it works is very interesting because we have reporting relationships uh, where you know associate consultants and consultants would report to managers 
but then most of the projects could be crossing teams, right? So we will just have a project team where you would have a project manager for each project. I think, you know, pretty much like what most companies do in terms of this organizational methodology. So we'll have a program manager that manages a specific client or a client project. And then within that project, we'll have a, a senior consultant, a principal, right? A principal, a senior consultant, and a data scientist. So this would typically be our structure, right? Typically, each client project team will have maybe four to five consultants, you know, three to four, I would say. Five would be like at the at the other end, like a max. And the five, six would happen if we have like two different divisions, we are doing it at the same time. Okay. So um, the, the best part of our methodology is that we are a unique company, consulting company, because we have, you know, our methodology combines, you know, process, quantitative analytics, and the system or solution platform. We bring all three together to deliver the solution to the client. So basically, even though you have, uh, for different, I'll say silos of information, they all work together though. It's, so it's a collaborative effort. Is that, is that true? Exactly. Every team will have like a data scientist who's capable of, you know, analytics, you know, data analytics, as well as looking at the systems and building systems, right? Because we build, you know, cloud-based tools as well as part of the consulting offering. And then we have the principal consultant who studies the strategy and process model for the specific consulting objective that we are charged with. So doing, you know, so that is important because what happens in in reality or in practice and this is where companies client companies get really frustrated with is because they would just go talk to one of the strategy consulting firms like say mckinsey bain or boston consulting and say hey you know we have a problem we have a profit problem we have a supply chain cost problem come and study this right and these strategy consultants would come in you know they'll charge you like a thousand dollars an hour they will come in and study the problem and they'll give you a complete roadmap in terms of a presentation saying, you know, this is where the issue is. You got to do this, this, and this. But they are not the company that actually helps the client do it. They are the company that says, okay, what is A plus B? They just tell you it's Z, right? Right. So they the client has a question. They put a team together. And after three months and whatever, they just tell you there is a recommendation. This is the gap, like the the, the Boston, you know, the strengths, weaknesses, SWOT analysis. This is the gap. These are the recommendations, right? But then they leave the building. Right. And then they go to an integrator and then tell them, hey, listen, this is what McKinsey told us. McKinsey said, hey, you know, your problem is forecasting. You better improve your forecasting. But obviously the strategy guy didn't tell me how to improve forecasting. So they go to an integrator, like, you know, the big five, and then say, hey, you know, just tell us what we do. So they go and look at it and then do the, they do the process work. They just say, this guy has to talk to this guy. This team has to talk to this team. This information has to be shared. And this is how we do it, right? But finally, they say, okay, is it all manual? And then they go to another integrator and then say, hey, you know, can you implement a tool for this? So those guys come in and implement a tool, like an SAP or an Oracle. So what happens is the information gets lost. The strategy consulting firm said, what is the problem? What you should be doing? And the process consulting firm said, how you should be doing it, but not with what. 
And then there is another consulting firm, the technology consulting firm is saying, hey, now I'm going to implement the tool for you. So, and then finally, the users may get a tool that, that may not really solve the problem the strategy guy was trying to solve or tell or, or told them what the problem is, right? So this we have seen repeatedly happen in, in a number of companies. So our method, our modality is saying, hey, bring all these three together. So saying, who is responsible for this? We are. For the strategy, for the process implementation and the tool implementation, it's us. So if something is wrong, if something is not delivered to you, ask me, right? I'm not going to say, oh, it's a strategy guy, or I'm not going to say it's an integrator or the process consulting company. So that's that's something that we deliver because we are able to bring all three together. But unfortunately, well, fortunately for small companies, we are able to do this model, right? Bringing the process, strategy, quant, as well as uh, you know, systems together for smaller companies, sub one billion dollar companies, because you know these are these are companies that work with us. You know, our our hope is we can bring the same model to the Fortune five hundred as well. Okay, excellent. I, I think you got a great strategy. You know what? That you you're you're bringing the complete package. Okay, you're not just bringing a piece of the package and then you know have to work with another group. I mean, I think right. it's great. So I also know um, that you uh, also help, uh, I guess you lecture. I mean, I know you lectured with the ASQ of New Haven and everything like that. So yes. uh, how, how often do you go out there and what are you teaching? Like some of your your strategies, helping these uh, people, explaining your companies? I mean, what? Um, I, guess, I guess you're going out there explaining a lot of things to people just to help people. Is that true? So... With these, uh, you know, I was president of the Boston Apex, which is now the ASCM, right? Association of Supply Chain Management. Right. And it's now, you know, as we talked about acquisition, we had multiple acquisitions and mergers there. So the Boston Apex merged with the North Shore chapter of Apex and became the New England chapter, right? Oh, okay. It's the Massachusetts, uh, it's actually called the Massachusetts chapter of ASCM, Association of Supply Chain Management. So I was president of this chapter back in 2000, um, you know, 2009, 2011. I was president of this chapter at that time, right, between 2009 and 2011. Um, and then again, I was president the last two years. So, you know, I was very closely involved with many of my supply chain colleagues, right, more on a fraternal basis, right? Basically just getting together, talk about, uh, you know, supply chain issues, common supply chain issues. We'll get together for meetings once a month, you know, have virtual meetings, Zoom meetings, that type of stuff. And also our mission was to propagate supply chain education, but also our mission was to help students in supply chain, you know, develop their career. So we'll have career panels, student competitions, that type of stuff. So I was kind of known in the supply chain circles and then I also do a lot of work in, uh, you know, with the uh, with LinkedIn, right? So, you know, I write a lot in LinkedIn, actually. So with that, um, you know, uh, basically for all of these chapters or supply chain circles that I talk about, we talk about specifically research. You know, we don't really talk about consulting methodology, but you would say that's kind of like, you know, in an indirect, subtle way of marketing, right? Because it's just, uh, you know, you get known. Yep. But I would say that I am not speaking just to market ourselves because I think that's not good marketing. 
I am really speaking more out of a passion for latest research. Like, for example, the research that I that we are working on right now is about insuring, right? Insuring manufacturing back into the US, right? There is a lot of talk and discussion and, and sensationalism about insuring. So the research that we have been doing for the last year and a half is about, you know, the the move towards insuring how realistic it is and what are the alternatives. Right. So basically, you know, we have a lot of volatility with China mm -hmm. because most of our manufacturing, not most of our manufacturing, at least most of our imports are, you know, China is a major player in our imports and manufacturing products. Manufacturing is done in China. So, like, for example, if you take the iPhone, most of the iPhones are made in China, although now, uh, you know, Apple has moved some of the production to India and other Southeast Asian countries. So but then China has pro, you know, has created a lot of volatility because you know they have had these shutdowns the covid lockdowns right these are total brutal lockdowns completely brutal lockdowns which which means nobody would go to the factory nobody would be able to like load the containers into the ships those type of things right right so right. yeah so so basically you know the the research that we have been doing is essentially saying hey you know if china is not an alternative how do we move manufacturing? So the strategy we have been studying, reshoring, which means moving manufacturing into Vietnam, Thailand, India, you know, that type of stuff, Singapore, that type of stuff, not Singapore, but Singapore is expensive, but one of the South Asian countries or nearshoring, nearshoring, which means moving manufacturing to either Mexico or South America. And then the last step is inshoring, maybe very critical you know, strategically important products, you know, we just say, hey, manufacture in the US. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And that's that's where the lot of traction is because I've been asked to present that in multiple supply chain circles in the ASQ as well as ASCM chapters. Well, I, I just got a couple more questions. Um, so okay. I know you do a lot of work with LinkedIn. Do you find LinkedIn a viable, a very viable resource for you? I think so. I think LinkedIn is an excellent resource. Um, you know, previously, I would say 10 years ago, 15 years ago, I would say it's the website. Uh -huh. So we would just use the website, you know, our website as a marketing tool and publish things on the website and do the blog entries and then use Google ads, you know, to, to advertise our stuff. Uh, but LinkedIn has been a major, uh, you know, tool for us. You know, I would say not just marketing, but all, but sharing information, right? We are able to like, you know, actually my team can get good information from LinkedIn because there's a lot of good people, you know, subject matter experts, they post their thoughts. And these are all passionate people who want to further improve the boundaries of our knowledge in supply chain management. Okay. So, and, and these people would just like spend their time educating people on LinkedIn or contributing to LinkedIn, right? And, and similarly, I write on LinkedIn as well. So LinkedIn is a very viable resource for networking, right? For knowledge, you know, mo mostly for knowledge that either mm -hmm. just uh, spreading knowledge or getting knowledge and, and also networking. You know, it is, if you think about networking, you know, the term networking, you know, is pretty much LinkedIn right now, right? It's virtual networking, but, you know, you can just say, hey, you know, somebody's in my network. I may have never seen that person. In fact, if this so happens when I meet somebody in the conference, they say, oh, you look very familiar. I have seen you before. And we may have never met in person in the past. And this has happened multiple times. It was all through LinkedIn. Okay. Okay. Yeah. 
So it's a very viable resource. It's a very viable resource. I highly recommend it for youngsters, right? Because this is one way to network and, and generate, you know, and develop their careers. Okay. So let me, I, I guess my final question for you, I mean, you have an amazing story, first of all. I mean, I, Thank you. kudos to you. I mean, that you came to this country with a plan in a country you never knew anything about, okay? And 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 you, you're a very successful person, okay? You've built a successful corporation. So I, I guess my, my final question to you is, what would you say to an entrepreneur that wants to do what you did? What advice would you give them? I mean, I think that as the cliche goes, you know, follow your dream. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. But, but I would say that you have to be really passionate about what you do, right? You have to be, you know, I, I would say, see, you know, when, you, when it comes to entrepreneurship, I don't know how much time we have, but it is one of my favorite subjects. Okay. Right? When it comes to entrepreneurship, you can think about people who are saying, hey, you know, I want to start a business because I want to make money. Right. right. I, you know, I'm, I, I don't want to work for somebody else. I want to be my own boss. I want to be an entrepreneur. I want to build an empire. What can I do? You can do a lot of things, right? Basically, you can just say, I'm going to just open a Midas franchise. Or I'm going to like buy car washes, right? I'm just going to like buy one car wash. You know, in fact, actually, I know a friend of mine who lives in uh, New York, right? He bought multiple car washes and he doesn't do anything. And, you know, he just makes a million dollars from each car wash each year, <laughs> million plus dollars, right? Yeah. And he says, Mark, this is a great business. I don't do much. I just pay my employees well. And, you know, I just go once in a while, check on the quality and boom, right? So you can be an entrepreneur for one reason, a couple of reasons. One is you want to be your own boss. You want to make money. The other type of entrepreneur is like saying, hey, you know, I have a passion for something and I want to make a difference. And, and when I want to make a difference, and this is something that I would do even for free, right? Because it's going to make a difference, right? right. So, right. you know, if you start with that, so you have to really think about, you know, the, the, my advice to the entrepreneur is you have to decide which entrepreneur are you, right? Are you an entrepreneur that is just simply to make money? I mean, there's nothing wrong with it, right? Because you're providing a service, right? right. You're successfully providing service. Car washes, Midas, McDonald's, Dunkin' Donuts franchises, anything, it's all fine, right? It's all perfect because you're creating value. The other is basically saying, I am going to make a difference. I'm going to provide a product that customers love, or I'm going to provide a service that customers love. And at the margin, if somebody really desperately needs me, and they cannot pay, right? I can even do it for free, right? All right. So if you have that type of an energy and vigor, then you become an entrepreneur that's a celebrated entrepreneur, right? Because you make a difference, right? You are you are not like one in a thousand or ten thousand. You are unique because you created a difference. And I think this is how, like you know, some of these companies started too, right? Because you know, I think Facebook. If you think about it, I, I don't, you know, I don't have a lot of praise because our account got hacked. Instagram account got hacked this week, but um, you know, they had a passion. They just wanted to kind of create something that's novel in terms of social media. Mm -hmm. Google, you know, they had a passion. They just wanted to organize the world's information, and they were doing it for free, right? And Amazon said, "I want to sell books for cheap." 
right? So right. that was like, you know, passion. It was not like, you know, it's one of, you know, I don't want to just open another Borders or Barnes & Noble. I just want to do it like because the books, you just need to kind of give a glimpse of the book online and I'm going to sell it, right? Okay. So I think you, you know, entrepreneurs, new entrepreneurs have to think about that. Like, what do they actually want to do? They just do they want to multiply and grow and kind of offer a product that everybody knows as a better product, right? With the better quality or creating a new product or passionate about the service they provide. Okay. Well, I thank you, Dr. Mark, for everything you've shared. I mean, it's been excellent. Thank so, you very much. I mean, I think this is actually kind of like, you know, some something of a soul search as well, right? So I'm able to articulate my own thoughts as well. So thank you for giving me the opportunity, Jim. And, uh, you know, hopefully we can keep in touch. And, uh, you know, please share the uh, the recording with me and I can share it with my team as well. I will do so. Well, I hope you enjoyed our podcast with Dr. Mark. I found it very interesting how he integrated the expertise of several consulting businesses during their own portion of the overall solution into a full solution consulting firm. I believe he is a great coach to help others in becoming an entrepreneur. As you know, I am always looking for unique and interesting stories to share with our listeners. So if you have an interesting idea or story you would like to talk about, just contact me at youarejustanumber.com. Until next time, have a great day.